Hey everyone, today's episode is going to be a teaching lesson that I did recently. Uh, the video of this will be in the show notes if you would prefer to watch instead of just listen. Uh, I was able to teach out at Gospel Centered Recovery, which is a ministry of Sailorville Church here in Des Moines, Iowa. The mission of Gospel Centered Recovery is to transform people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their goal is for men and women to gain freedom from life-dominating sin issues like addictions and idolatry in order to make people more like Jesus. Now, the kind of overriding verse of gospel-centered recovery is Romans 12.2, and that is relevant info to know because I make a, a small joke partway through the teaching lesson, So, uh, but Romans 12.2 is kind of their overriding verse there. Uh, but how uh, GCR works is they just have teachers come in and they just uh, they're in a book of the Bible and teachers will just teach through one chapter at a time. And so as you will hear, I was given the opportunity to teach through Galatians chapter five. So I'm very excited to be here tonight. Uh, I was here uh, several months ago um, and it was such a blessing for me just to be able to um, come to a program like this and just be able to just open God's word and just try to be an encouragement uh, in your walk with Christ. Um, I'm also excited because uh, like Adam said, next week we've got a guy from High Point coming. Week after that we have another guy from High Point coming. So I'm kind of like the, the, the opening act, I guess. Um, and so I'm kind of glad to be the first because I know it only gets better after this. So I can um, s start you off with your High Point marathon, I guess. Um, now Galatians 5, I am, it's, uh, you know, God does things sometimes when, when he gives you opportunities. Um, Galatians 5 is one of those. You know, all of God's word is valuable to us, but Galatians 5 is one of those that God has really used in my own life to grow me, to challenge me, um, to take me from a very kind of foolish way of thinking about the Christian life into a way that is more in love with God. And so um, when I told David to put me on the schedule, he's like, all right, well, you get Galatians 5. I'm like, yes, all right. So very excited because... What we're going to talk about tonight in Galatians 5 is one of those where, and I can tell you from my own experience, if you let it sink in, if you believe the things that it's saying, it has no choice but to transform your life. Because how we think about life, how we think about our life in Christ can be radically different from what we may um, immediately assume. So um, just to get started, um, I want to start off, we're going to start in Galatians 5. Uh, and then if you have a, a physical Bible, um, put your finger in Romans 6, because we'll bounce over there as well. Um, but just starting off, Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, when I was studying, the language on this one was kind of throwing me for a loop. I don't know. It just, I read it. I'm just like, is this guy being Dr. Seuss right now for freedom? Christ has set us free. It took me a second, and so I want to explain what Paul is saying here with kind of a silly example. So imagine you've got a friend who is, he comes to your house and he's just starving. He hasn't eaten in, in weeks maybe, and he just, he, he's starving, he needs some food. So you get some food ready, you prepare it, you sit it down in front of them, and they, they look at it and say, oh, this looks delicious, thank you. They smell it, oh, this is amazing, this smells great, thank you so much. And three hours later, they die of starvation. Now. That would be a little offensive, right? And even a little bit ridiculous because they have a thing they need. You give them the thing they need and they appreciate it. They love it. They have all kinds of great things to say about it, but they're not actually using it. And they're suffering because of it. In our example, you know, they, they starve to death because of it. 
What Paul is saying here is that we do the exact same thing with what Christ has given us. So, if you, you know, with, with the food that you make for your friend, you know, for eating, you cooked for them, right? You cooked for them, you made them food so that they could eat it. Here, it's saying that Christ has set us free for freedom, to live in freedom, to walk in freedom. And so that is the thing that we need to really recognize about our lives is that Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross and set us free from sin just so that we could keep going and living like slaves to sin. He didn't set us free just to live like the rest of the world, to keep suffering, and to not use the good things that he's given us. And Paul warns us here, he says, because Jesus Christ has set us free, we need to stand firm and not submit ourselves to a yoke of slavery. Now, when we read that, we can make all kinds of assumptions. It's talking about freedom. It's talking about being slaves to something. What is he talking about there? And I don't want to make assumptions. I don't want you to just take my word for it. What I want us to do is, before we dig deeper into Galatians 5, I want us to go to Romans 6, where we can see a bit more of a specific discussion on what this freedom is and what this slavery is that we can choose to submit ourselves to. So in Romans 6, we're going to be in verses 16 to 18. This is going to show us that as people, we are always choosing to be slaves to something. We are submitting ourselves to the control of something. So here, Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So here, Paul very plainly lays out what this um, idea is that he's talking about in Galatians 5, this idea of either be free or submit yourselves as slaves to something. Here he makes it much more clear that, that as followers of Jesus Christ, every thought that we have, every action that we do, we are surrendering ourselves. We are submitting ourselves to something. We are being controlled by something. Either we are submitting ourselves to sin, which leads to death. Now, this leads to a spiritual death. This can even lead to a physical death. Or we can submit ourselves to righteousness, to God's way of thinking, to God's, <clears throat> excuse me, to God's will for our lives. But in everything we do, we are choosing something. And that's the core of what we're going to talk about tonight, is that in everything we do, every act in our life, every sin struggle we have, it's all a choice that we are making. And as Christians, we are never required to sin. Because it says right here, very plainly, that um, at the end there, having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. So if you are a Christian, if you have asked Jesus Christ to save you from sin, then you have been set free from sin. Sin's hold has no power over you. Now, yes, that means that the, the punishment for sin has been paid for, right? We, we know that plainly, that um, with Jesus Christ's death on the cross, he took our punishment for sin so that we can have eternal life through him with God. But that's not all we've been set free from. We've also been set free from our obligation to sin. Before Jesus Christ, we had no choice but to sin. Literally, all we could do was to live as enemies of God. And we had no choice. But Christ set us free from our requirement to constantly live as enemies of God so that now we can make that choice of, am I going to 
serve God? Am I going to please God? Am I going to desire the things of God? Or am I going to desire the things of my flesh, of my sin nature? Am I going to want to live like the world? Now, when we do that, obviously, we give in to sin because it seems like the best thing, right? Whether it's addictions, whether it's being lazy, whether it's um, getting angry, whatever it is, we always give in to sin because it promises us something good. But as Christians, we know that Jesus Christ always offers us something better. And we get that choice to choose. Am I going to submit to sin for its temporary pleasures, which is going to give me long-term suffering, or am I going to submit to God? Am I going to submit to the desire of Jesus Christ? Now, another place we see this discussion on, as Christians, we need to choose, am I going to serve sin or serve God? Um, we see it in a place that um, one or two of you might be familiar with. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, again, two choices. Are our minds, are we going to set our minds on the things of the world and, and think like the world, think like enemies of God? Or are we going to have our minds radically transformed in a way that is completely foreign to our sinful way of thinking and be controlled in our minds by the Holy Spirit? Again, God's word makes it very, very clear that we always have one of two choices, sin or righteousness. So understanding that, let's jump back into Galatians. And I want to jump ahead now to verse, so chapter 5, verses 16 to 17. And here, Paul's going to once again just walk us through this reality of we always have a choice. Uh, so in 16, uh, 5, 16 to 17, it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul makes it very clear. There's no neutral decisions in the Christian life. N nothing we do just doesn't matter or isn't unimportant. Everything we do is either walking in our flesh or walking by the Spirit. If we do something that is not in the Spirit, we can guarantee it's in our flesh. We can guarantee we're doing it out of a sinful desire. And if we are seeking to serve God, if we are seeking to do the will of God and to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, then we know that we are not walking in the flesh. We may not do it perfectly, right? No Christian is going to do the life perfectly. But the more that we are seeking to do the will of God, the less we are going to do the will of our own sinful desires. Because that's what it says so plainly here. And this is, this is what was radically transforming in my life, is that the flesh is against the Holy Spirit. In other words, our sinful desires aren't just these neutral things. They aren't just, oh, whatever. They literally want us to live as enemies of God. Yeah. The Holy Spirit wants us to live as enemies of our sinful desires. So what we do matters in every little moment, not just those big decisions where we choose to actually give in to a sin, but moment by moment, day by day, every little thing that we do has a consequence. It has a, a side, if you will. Either we are choosing to live by our flesh or we're choosing to live by the Spirit. Now, we may want to ask, okay, so... You know, we started off Galatians 5.1, um, you know, walk in freedom, don't submit yourselves as slaves. We saw more specifically what that means and that we can live as slaves to sin or we can walk in freedom from sin and be what Romans said is slaves to righteousness or slaves to Jesus Christ, right? We, we have to pick a side. So how do we know which one we're doing? How can we test? 
what that looks like in our own lives. Well, Paul anticipating that lets us go on and we can see that very clearly what that's going to look like. So uh, the next verse is Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Let's us see what it's going to look like when we're surrendering to our flesh. So it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And I'm glad he uses the word evident because what he's basically saying is, you know, right? You know what it looks like when you're walking in the flesh. He's going to give us just kind of a, a sampler platter of what it looks like when we are choosing sin and living in sin and living like enemies of God. But these are not by any means exhausted. This is not everything that it's going to look like if we're walking in sin. You know yourself, you know your heart, you know what it looks like when you're walking in sin. But he's just going to give us some examples here. So he says, um, some examples are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Again, not even an exhaustive list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that last line can be terrifying. So I just, want to, I, I, I just want to tackle it very briefly. What Paul is not saying is that if you get drunk, if you, um, you know, look at porn or um, get angry, whatever, that you have somehow lost your salvation, that you're not going to heaven. That's not what he's saying here. Instead, what he's saying, and we'll see it more clearly in the next point, is that these kinds of behaviors, this way of thinking, these desires, these actions are not befitting a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what we should expect from people who are enemies of God, people who are slaves to sin, people who, who live their daily lives hating God as his enemies. These are the things we should expect of them not a follower of Christ. So when he says that those who do these things won't inherit them, it's not that doing them forfeits your inheritance to the kingdom of God, but instead, this has no place in the life of a believer. Now, um, you know, there's a lot there, and I'm not allowed to speak for three hours, so I just want to um, very quickly just talk about three of these things that a lot of us are going to be able to relate to when we are examining our lives, when we're examining our hearts, or even our actions and trying to say, am I following God with these desires, with these thoughts, with this way of living, or am I making myself a slave to sin once again? So the first one I want to talk about is the very first one listed there, and that is sexual immorality. Now, obviously that's going to talk about, you know, if you're married, don't have, you know, a, a relationship with someone that you're not married to. That's also going to mean that if you are unmarried, that you are not to have a sexual relationship with someone else. Because sex isn't just this thing that God made for, you know, if you're married, you can only have sex with one person. It is a picture of, of God's um, or Christ's union with the church. And so sex is a sacred thing only meant for marriage. So unmarried people, no sex at all. We'll just say that. Um, it also is going to talk about not just physical sexual immorality, but it's going to talk about, you know, if we can be, be blunt, pornography. Pornography is a form of sexual immorality. So if you are um, surrendering to your desire to look at pornography, you are very clearly walking in the flesh. You are surrendering to sin. Whatever excuses we make, whatever justifications we may have, whatever we may say about, oh, I deserve this, I need this, I can't help myself. God very plainly says that if we are giving in to sex, sexual immorality of any kind, we are choosing to be slaves to sin once again. Second one I want to look at uh, right in the middle there is idolatry. Now, a lot of times we think idolatry, and I know when I was first learning, I thought, oh, well, idolatry is just, you know, you build a wooden statue and you pray to it, and that's idolatry, and God hates that. Yes, but 
we, especially here in America, we are drenched in idolatry and we don't even realize it because God's problem with idolatry isn't you make a statue and you pray to it, you know, every night before bed. Idolatry at its very basic level is replacing God with something else. So if something else is our source of our desire, if, if we say, oh, I need, I need this thing to be happy. I need this thing to be satisfied. This is where I find my identity. And that thing is something other than God. It's something other than Jesus Christ. That's how we know that it's an idol in our lives. So some examples of things that we turn to, whether it's to, you know, because we, need, we feel like we need to be happy, whether we see it as a savior from boredom, from suffering, from loneliness, whatever it is. Um, just some examples of idolatry in our lives that are good, ex- um, good indicators that we're walking in the flesh are things like relationships. So if you are lonely or, you know, you're in an unhappy marriage and you say, you know, oh, if I just, if I could just have this person, or if I could just have a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, then I could be happy. I love God. I love Jesus. I'm glad I have them, but I just can't be complete until I have this other person in my life. That's an idol because it's saying that God is not enough in our lives. Um, another thing, drugs and alcohol, you know, uh, whatever reasons people have for feeling like they need alcohol or need drugs in their lives, whether it's because they have pain that they can't, they feel they can't live with, whether they're bored, whether they're suffering, um, you know, whether they just feel like they need it to, to be happy. Ultimately, what that is, is we're saying that I need to be saved from my loneliness, from my pain, and only this substance can do it. I've got God, I've got Jesus, that's great, but they're not enough. I also need this in order to be whole or to be fulfilled or satisfied. That's idolatry. Um, And I'll I'll go ahead and real quick just pick on phones. So a lot of times, um, you know, in our culture today, we are terrified of being bored. We're terrified of being alone with our thoughts. And so what do we do? We whip out our phones, we go to Facebook, we play games, whatever. And what that is, is that is us needing freedom from you know, boredom, and so we turn to games and stuff. We need validation for others to, to tell us that we matter, that the pictures that we posted had value, that we are important based on the number of likes we get on social media. Again, that is a sign of an idol in our lives because we need that in order to be happy or to be satisfied or to be fulfilled. Now, last one here that I want to talk about is drunkenness. Now, obviously, drunkenness carries that idea of, oh, you know, back in the the context of this, if you drink too much wine and get drunk, God has a problem with that. Again, just like idolatry, even just like sexual immorality, it's not just that one thing that we think of. The issue with drunkenness is that we are being controlled by a substance. So, yes, alcohol, obviously, don't get drunk, right? I mean, God's word is very plain on that. But in our modern context today, things like drugs, even prescription drugs, can be a part of that because we are letting our minds be altered and be controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. Now, for the world, that makes sense, right? Because they have no hope. They have nothing in their lives except their sinful desires. They have nothing to live for except themselves. But as followers of Christ, we have so much more than that. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives guiding and controlling us. And when we give that up for the sake of, you know, feeling numb, feeling pleasure, whatever, that is a sign that we are living as slaves to sin once again. So ultimately, when we're talking about am I living as a slave to sin, it ultimately boils down to is my actions, are my desires lining up with the world? Do what I desire or what I'm doing, does that make sense for someone who is an enemy of God? That is kind of the ultimate test that Paul is giving us here. But we don't want to just, you know, kind of beat up ourselves and say, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm just such a terrible person. 
Paul also gives us an indicator of what it's going to look like when we are walking in the Spirit, when we are trying to seek and pursue Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's just going to be the next set of verses. So Galatians 5, to 25 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So again, this is, you know, um, we talked earlier about how the, the flesh is against the Spirit. The Spirit is against the flesh. And here we see a much more zoomed-in version of what that looks like. Because at the end of our last chunk of verses, it says that those who do these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I try to calm you down and say it doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. And here's where I get that. Because what he says here is that if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. In other words, if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, Let's live like it. Let's not live like the world. Let's not live like our former selves before we had Jesus Christ in our lives. Let's not find our pleasure and our satisfaction in us feeling good, us being happy, us escaping pain, escaping boredom, escaping loneliness. That is the behavior of of people who don't have God, who don't have Jesus Christ in their lives. Instead, if we have the Spirit, Let us walk in the Spirit. Let us walk in that freedom that Jesus Christ gives us to not surrender to sin again in our lives because the ultimate end of that sin is ultimately going to be death. It's going to be pain because sin in any form is not complete. It cannot complete us because the only thing that can complete us is Jesus Christ. So some things about this that I just want to point out. Again, David doesn't give me three hours. I'll have a talk with him next time. But the first thing I want to point out here is that it says the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a lot of times when we read this list, we say, oh, you know, God's given me peace, but I don't have patience. I don't have self-control. God hasn't given me that fruit of the Spirit. That's not what this says. Look what it says. It says the fruit of the Spirit. So if I'm holding an apple in my hand, I have a single fruit, right? I don't have fruits. I have one whole thing. So when this says that this is the fruit of the Spirit, this means that if you have been saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, if he is truly your Savior, you have access to all of this. Christ has died to give you access to this, to walk in the freedom of living like Jesus Christ by having the the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. Now, again, we may look at some of these, and I mean, you know, let's consider the setting of GCR. Self-control is an issue that all human beings struggle with, but a lot of people here really recognize their struggle with self-control in their lives. What this says and what this means for us is that if you are a Christian, a truly born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to self-control. But it has nothing to do with your strength, your personal will, whatever programs you are a part of, whatever books you read, whatever, whatever schedule or routine you keep. Those things are helpful and valuable. But ultimately, your true freedom from sin, your true self-control, and your ability to say no to sin comes from no other source than Jesus Christ. And that is who we need, and that is how we need to walk. That is what we always need to turn to whenever we're struggling with anything. Um, But again, you know, some of these you're gonna you're gonna be able to look at your life and you're gonna see, you know, wow, God's really given me peace. You know, I, I was not a peaceful person or I was not a patient person. I can, I can uh, vouch for the fact that it is only by God that I have any patience at all in my life. Um, you know, we can look at some of these and say, God has really grown these. 
we can also see some of these things that God's just kind of naturally given us. You know, there's some people who just naturally have self-control somehow. They are naturally loving people. I don't understand it living in this world, how you can just naturally love people. But there are people like that. But then there's going to be some things that we're going to be able to look at this and say, I feel like I don't even know what this is. I don't know what it means to have ultimate faith in God. I don't know what it means to just be patient or be gentle or to have self-control. All of these things are gifts from God, and we need to trust him to sustain the ones that we have and also to grow the ones that we feel like we're lacking. But ultimately, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a gift of God. This is what it means to walk in freedom. This is what we've been set free for. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from our requirement to only sin, but we've also been set free to walk in the Spirit. And that is the beautiful thing. That is the amazing thing that we have in Jesus Christ. So I want to wrap this up then. Excuse me. So I want to wrap this up. And we've kind of seen, you know, we've taken the big view of, uh, you know, Christ set you free to walk in freedom. We've seen what that freedom is. It also says don't submit yourselves to the yoke of slavery. We've seen what that slavery is to sin. We've um, you know, dug a little deeper and seen what it looks like to either walk in sin or walk by the Spirit. So I want to end this with just some kind of uh, four practical ways or uh, steps that we can take to further walk in that freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So the first one is to very honestly realize that sin is a choice for Christians. So Romans 6, 16 says that we are presenting ourselves to something as obedient slaves. In other words, we are, we are submitting to the control of something. We're submitting to the control of sin. We're submitting to the control of God. Whatever the world says, no matter how much the world may want to excuse away things, we know when we're submitting to sin. And sin is a choice. That is the number one thing we have to acknowledge. That even though at times... It may feel like we don't have a choice. We may feel like we are victims to our biology, to our upbringing, to our experiences. We may feel like we've gotten to this point where I have no choice but to give in to the sin. I just couldn't help myself. It feels like that, and the world tells us that. They tell us that we're victims of all these things, that we just can't help ourselves. But if God's word is true, then if God's word says that we are willingly submitting ourselves, then we have to accept that we are choosing that sin. No matter how much we hate it, we are choosing that sin. We are choosing to live as enemies of God every time we sin, every time we give in to temptation. Um, number two is that we need to know that our sinful choices are going to reflect what's in our heart. So Christ says in Matthew 15, 18 to 19, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then he gives us a nice, lovely list of the things that we do. Um, but ultimately, what this is saying is that what we put in is what is going to come out. So, you know, we, I talked about how sometimes when we, we get to that point of temptation where I feel like I can't help it. I feel like I have to go to that website. I have to, you know, I have to drink. I have to get angry, whatever it is. I feel like I have to do this thing. But what this is saying is that our sin is ultimately a long series of compromises. So if we are living six days out of the week and all we're doing is living for ourselves, we're pursuing our own happiness, we are putting our peace into you know, how the world is reacting, we are putting our safety and security into our health, our jobs. If we are living little different than the world, 
then it shouldn't surprise us that after six days of compromising, of constantly living in sin, of being uh, slaves to sin, you know, little by little, with these little thoughts, these little compromises, that when that big temptation comes up, we feel like we don't have a choice because all we've been doing is putting into ourselves worldly thinking. And so when that big choice comes, when that big temptation comes, what else do we feel like we can do except continue living like the world and give in to whatever sinful temptation is facing us in that moment? But even in that moment, even if we've been living like enemies of God for six months and we, you know, we haven't been reading our Bibles, we haven't been praying, we haven't been trusting God with anything, whatever sin, sinful temptation comes up, we can still reject it. Not because we are strong or we are good people or we have the power within ourselves, but because we have God in our lives. And he always gives us access to say no because our sin has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ and our obligation to give in to sin was also nailed up there with him. Now, number three, we need to kill the things that tempt us to surrender to sin. Uh, Christ, again, in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. So a lot of times with sin, we just try to make it work. You know, we say, oh, I want to keep watching the stuff I watch. I want to keep listening to my music. I want to keep the friends I have. I just need to find a way to do it better and to have it be less tempting. And here, Christ basically says, you know what? If there is something in your life that keeps pulling you towards sin, that keeps bringing up that temptation, rip it out. Christ doesn't care what it is because whatever sinful temptation we have in our lives, if it is mastering us, if it is drawing us into sin so much so that we are loving sin more than Christ, Christ says to get rid of it because it is always better to do without than to keep sinning and keep putting that sin on Jesus Christ and to live like slaves to sin. So again, TV shows, music, our friends, maybe even our internet access, whatever it is that draws us towards sin, if you need to, get rid of it, kill it. Don't, don't try to put on life support, take it out back and give it two shots and just let it be done so that it's not drawing you away from your God. And then finally, and most beautifully, is that we need to remember that if we're going to walk in freedom, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And so we need to rely on Christ's work on the cross and not our own strength. Galatians 5.16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you're here and you're sick and tired of letting your flesh control you, of constantly living like a slave to sin, it's Jesus Christ alone that gives us the ability to stop. It is Jesus Christ alone who has paid the penalty, who has nailed our sin debt to the cross, and with that nailed our obligation to sin on the cross. But he didn't just do that to make us better people, to make us you know, more impressive or have a stronger will. But instead, he did that so that we can rely fully on him, so that he can be our strength. He can be the one who says no, because he has already purchased that victory. He has purchased that freedom on the cross. All we have to do is walk with Christ and we will not give in to the desires of our flesh. So, the thing to consider as I wrap this up is who are you a slave to? Now, in every moment of our lives, obviously, sometimes we're going to be walking with the Spirit, sometimes we'll be walking with the flesh. It's not like Monday through Wednesday, all we've done is walk in the Spirit, or all we've done is walk in sin, right? Every moment we're making that choice. But just ask yourself, with whatever decisions coming up, with whatever you bring here tonight that you're struggling with or that you're tired of, ask yourself, who are you choosing to be a slave to? So again, Romans 6, 20 to 23, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
In other words, before Jesus Christ, all you could do was sin. You had no obligation or expectation to live a righteous life because you couldn't, because it's only through Christ. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? In other words, now that you have Christ, what is the point of returning to the mud? What is the point of, of eating garbage, of, of living in sin and living like an enemy of God? What are you actually getting out of it that has any value outside of a temporary moment-to-moment -moment pleasure? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. So sanctification is what we talked about, walking in the Spirit and living more and more like Jesus Christ lived. And its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're here tonight and you are unsaved, you are not a Christian, meaning that you have not recognized that your sin has made you an enemy of God, fully deserving of his punishment and his wrath, then sin is your default. You have no choice but to sin. What that also means is that no amount of good you do is going to impress God. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't just be a better person or do so much good that God will ignore your bad. Sin is sin. Lawbreaking is lawbreaking. And if that's you, then the biggest thing you need right now is Jesus Christ. You need to realize that he came to earth as God in human flesh. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross. And in dying on the cross, God poured out his wrath for your sin. Every lie you've told, every lustful thought you've had, every time you've gotten angry with your friends or that jerk in traffic, Jesus Christ took God's wrath for every single one of those things. And he offers you to be forgiven of that sin. And it's not work on your part. You just trust that God, Christ is who he says he is. You ask him to save you. You repent of your sin. You turn away from it and say, I don't want that thing that I've been trusting in. I don't want the, the lies that sin brings me. Because as this says, the only thing we get from our sin is death. Instead, you ask Jesus Christ to save you, to forgive your sins, and he promises that he will. And if you're here tonight and you have done that, whether you know a day ago or whether 10 years ago, then if you are saved, remember that sin is always your choice. Our requirements to sin, both our punishment and our requirement to live as enemies of God, have been nailed to the cross. They are dead to us. So if we are going back to sin, it's because we are consciously choosing to resurrect that dead corpse and keep living in it because we are trusting that whatever, whatever good thing sin promises, we think that that is somehow better than what God promises us through Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to realize here tonight. So remember that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery to sin. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. You sent your son to live a perfect life and die in our place so that we could have forgiveness through him. You continue to forgive us even though we keep going back to garbage, even though we keep returning to living like enemies of you. We are so thankful for your goodness, for your patience, for your mercy on us. I ask that everyone here, myself included, would never forget that your son set us free to live in the freedom that he offers. Don't let us keep trusting sin. Don't let us keep believing the lies that sin tells us. Instead, let us trust you. 
let us rest in you. Let us put to death those things that draw us away from you so that we can live more and more every day in love with you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 